Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, I'm Ham Bagby and this is Sports Talk. This is a song off my new record that's going to come out. Drinking PBR with my dumbass friends. Another night, another bar, it's never gonna end. They ain't too bright, but at least they don't pretend. And I'm drinking PBR with my dumbass friends. My dumbass friends, you know they all got hopes and dreams. My dumbass friends, you know we're on the same damn team. My dumbass friends stay out all night. My dumbass friends don't start no fights. We're at a bar drinking PBR with my dumbass friends. with my dumbass friends and talking all about what great big stars we could have been it happens sometimes and I'm sure it will again when I'm drinking PBR with my dumbass friends my dumbass friends you know we all got and dreams my dumbass friends you know we're on the same damn team my dumbass friends stay out all night my dumbass friends don't start no fights we're at a bar drinking PBR with my dumbass friends we're at a bar drinking PBR with my dumbass friends Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is an episode I've been looking forward to for some time. Uh, I met Ham uh, 
Druid City Brewing. Him and Janet Simpson shared an evening there. And uh, My Dumbass Friends, I'm guessing that's the title of the track? Yeah. Is uh, You shared it that night, and I mean, that was one that was just a crowd pleaser. It definitely put a smile on the face. And uh, Man, just getting familiar with your music, it's... Uh, you got two sides to you, uh, it seems like. You got the the really fun songs, and then there's a, it's a real kind of a darker, uh, more serious side of it. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, you do a great job of uh, putting two together. Uh, so, Ham, uh, where are you from? Uh, Birmingham originally. And then uh, we moved around a lot. Um, so, like, Dad went to seminary and virginia he's an episcopal priest um and his first position as a as a uh, transitional deacon was in the huntsville at saint thomas mm-hmm. uh, episcopal church and then he was the rector at uh grace church at Cullman, and then selma um and then when i you know uh graduated high school i went to uh, Montevallo, and then the Tuscaloosa, and then back to Montevallo, and then back to Tuscaloosa. I stayed in Tuscaloosa for about 18 years. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, hopefully you can help me connect some dots with uh, just the Tuscaloosa and Birmingham music scene. Uh, we were having a conversation just a little bit before about uh, the greatest band in the land. Oh, uh, the Dexatunes. That's right. The best band on the planet. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> And uh, if you're unfamiliar, they uh, made more of their work available to you on Apple, Spotify, or however you ingest it digitally. And I yeah. highly suggest you ingest that. Yeah, those first two records are definite must-listens for any aspiring young rock and roller. Yeah, and so music for you, uh, moving around uh, up to Virginia, back down to Alabama, uh, how did music come into your life? Um, I think I, well, I always loved music. But it was more of like a, like as a child, uh, like pop music, and then kind of like a, a gradual evolution into loving rock and roll first with like classic rock, and then like grunge broke when I was like a, just like twelve years old. So yeah, the real, the real like uh, crazy heavy, uh, you know, rock and roll portion of my my uh, my teenage years, my early teenage years was that grunge era with Nirvana and and. Uh, and uh, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and, and all those bands. Yeah. So just in the home of your your dad being Episcopal priest, he didn't really mind you listening to rock and roll. Or? There's some stuff that they, they were they were kind of like, don't hey you listen here, you need to you know stay away from this mm-hmm. you know vul- this vulgar stuff. But I was always like, my mom used those words. I was like, why are we why are we talking about this? My mom still gets mad about my music. Yeah. But she doesn't listen to it, so I'm like, well, if you don't listen to it, then why? It doesn't matter, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, how long? How old would you be when you picked up the guitar? Thirteen. Thirteen, 13 was a guitar. I started playing harmonica when I was twelve because uh, they uh, they gave me a harmonica and I started playing harmonica. And I'd always sang. I was never a very good singer. Let me get that real quick. Yeah. Singing has been uh, as much of a of a. Uh, of a discipline as as playing guitar easily like it's it's always kind of eluded me like that kind of pitch control and stuff like that uh, was always difficult for me growing up and I didn't really 
I mean, you know, when you're a kid and you're in all your all your heroes are punk rockers and and all that stuff, and grunge dudes with with terrible attitudes, mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't want to like study like formal stuff. You know what I mean? So, right. at some point in my twenties, I started wanting to be a better singer. Yeah. So, what did that look like? Was that Montevallo or? That was when I went back to college. When I was living in Tuscaloosa, I went to Shelton State and I joined the choir and I took a voice class and I and I studied music for a couple of years. That was something that was transformative for me too. Is like growing up, I started playing when I was fifteen mm-hmm. and man, I just wanted rock. And so yeah. my grandma got me like classical guitar lessons and I yeah. done that for like two months and I was like, shoot me. Yeah. I, this I, I, is the worst. Yeah, yeah, it's the, yeah. I just want, I just want rock. Like teach me power chords, you know. It's like I saw a video with with Ingve talking about uh, talking about crazy arpeggios, and he was like he was like, well, you kind of have to start with this, but it's I don't want to sound like a grandma. Like eat your veggies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like looking back, that was the right way to go, but yeah, that, it yeah. wasn't what I wanted. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not. It's not what anybody it's not wants. Sexy. Yeah, it's the, nothing. Nothing about that is fun. There's no. There's no dirt. There's no sweat in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah it's not what you're listening to, mm-hmm. uh, but it definitely has its place. And I, I would go to the University of Mobile later, um, about five years later, and I would join the choir. And like, uh, I remember when I moved down there with a childhood friend, and I got into the music program and I had to pick a primary instrument. Mm-hmm. And I picked voice, and he was just thrown by that. He was like, "Why didn't you choose guitar, dummy?" Because you want to be a better singer. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's and, what I was. That's what I was doing too. The jazz band was like, "Why aren't you playing guitar?" It's like I want to be a better singer. Mm-hmm. Bo Hembry was in that jazz band. Do you know who he is? I don't. Okay. Who is that cat? He was a Tuscaloosa. He was a Tuscaloosa musician who moved to Athens. He used to be in a band with David Ray, who was in CBDB briefly, um, and Paul Oliver, who was in CBDB as well. Uh, and they were called the Hipsies, and they were just a three-piece band of virtuoso musicians who were great but um he was studying at shelton when i was he was when i was studying voice like he went and did his undergrad stuff he had played bars in tuscaloosa and gotten what he wanted out of it i guess and then he went back to school and he was at shelton the same time that i was at shelton and so just during your time of in tuscaloosa uh those were the days of uh, the mighty mighty dex teams right with the shucker yeah like the late 90s when i first moved there they were they weren't the band there was also another band called pain which is now called salvo Mm -hmm. um they were the biggest band uh pain was and the dexatines were still making plenty of noise like they and they they carried themselves as if, as if they were the, the best thing on the planet. And it was kind of cool to see. It was kind of cool and kind of intimidating. But the, as they aged and got older, there's a little bit more. They were a little bit more humble and, and wonderful to be around. <clears throat> and around the time that the Red Dust Rising album came out, mm-hmm. I was pretty good friends with their drummer, Sweet Dog. And he was like, we're getting these, you know, we're getting these opening spots for like the drive by truckers and stuff. And, he would be like, I just don't want to go. I don't want to go there mm-hmm. and look like a bunch of schlubs. And he asked me to be their guitar tech for a couple of <laughs> tours, which wasn't my 
Yeah. Like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I knew how to play guitar, and I know how to plug in a guitar. I know how to tune a guitar, change strings and stuff like that. But, like, what is being a guitar tech, really? Yeah. So it was just kind of like this. He wanted to He wanted to look like... They were legit. Like a legit band. So they had they, they hired a driver and a guitar tech. <laughs> <laughs> and And me and the driver would just, you know set up the you know what we could and then uh and carry stuff in carry stuff out and uh and and then hang out and drink and watch the next teams play how did that uh i don't know if you know but how did that connection with drive-by work out he heard uh, patterson never- patterson hood heard them yeah um patterson hood had a friend who was like you've got to hear this band and uh and he talks about it in the the live album have you heard the live album Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talks about it at the beginning of that. Yeah. He's like, that's the best band name I've ever heard in my entire life. But I remember him calling Elliot on a cell phone on the road. And he's like, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. And uh, and then he hang up the phone. Who is that? It's Patterson. Just tell me how great Devoted to Lonesome is. <laughs> Just talking about Pine Belt Blues. That's cool. Uh, and so just... Going back to uh, Shelton State, learning to hone your voice is like, uh, I mean, what were you wanting to do at that time? Were you full pursuing music? You wanted to be a musician? I wanted to be a musician full time. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a better version of what I was. I was already playing bars. I was playing cover shows. Um, I could slip in an, an original. I've still, I've always had that kind of like, I'll write a song that's kind of funny. And people will be like, okay, well, we'll let that one slide. But mm-hmm. you better play, you know, Brown Eyed Girl next or whatever. Right. Um, so I've always been kind of good at at being an original musician who plays these cover gigs. Um, but I would lose my voice all the time. And it was because I had a horrible vocal technique. It was just too much strain, too much stress on my instrument. And so... I was like, I got to change that. And I mean, like it was within months I had a better grasp on what the, you know, what the, what the machine is doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to recalibrate that machine and you have to do it every once in a while too. I took a Natalie Valentine had me, uh, you know, go to her vocal coach, uh, a couple of years ago. And he was like, yeah, you know, we can work on this. And I was like, okay, I have not, I have since not followed up on that, and I need to probably go back and do a few months of just random vocal lessons. But Natalie does it all the time. She's the best singer I know. Um, uh, Holly Malone, who is a friend of mine, uh, she actually lives in the the other building on my property. Um, she's a good singer, and she's she's really big on you know uh, education and technique and stuff like that. Anna Hope's been in choirs, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh... For me, it was breathing. It was breathing was my biggest downfall. Was, I know, and it doesn't make sense when they first tell you you need to focus on your breathing because you you don't you don't focus on your breathing. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you're gonna belt. It you're not, it's yeah. not gonna be there. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens involuntarily, right? Yeah. But yeah, those those little uh, just having a having lungs full of air, and just like a bellows is is the best. Is the best part like something that never occurred to me almost. Mm-hmm. And so, like uh, finishing up at Shelton State, focusing on your voice. Uh, would you stay in Tuscaloosa playing those bars, or 
was you back and forth between Tuscaloosa, Birmingham, or what did that look? I like was kind of trying to. Yeah, I was. I was at the time. I was playing a little bit in Birmingham, a little bit in Tuscaloosa, um, and I uh, was occasionally going on the road with the Dex teams, and then I had a kid, and I uh, and my you know his mother was not gonna be like cool with me being on the road all the time right. so i had to figure out a way to pay my bills and play music and stay close to home mm-hmm. so it was mainly just a it's it's further modifying the idea of of playing you know bars on the strip which as time goes on while i'm living in tuscaloosa there's less and less bars to play music at yeah and now it's like there's not even that's yeah it's like druid city or bust yeah um, there's like nothing. There's no Egan's. There's no, uh, you know, none of those downtown bars that we, you, there were like five of them that we could play downtown, and there's none. And just to, to walk back down that scene, and like uh, Monk and I will talk about like Tuscaloosa, especially when it comes to the music scene. He believes it came when Alabama hit number one. I think it was Playboy magazine wrote him up as. You know, the number one party school in the nation. Yeah, yeah. And then I think another part of that was, uh, I call it the saving effect. It's like yeah. they started winning, and so the culture kind of changed. Yeah. It's back into, which it's still, a. I mean, even the, you know, indie rock, punk rock, you know, original music folks still loved football. Mm-hmm. We sat and watched all those, the the Mike DeBose era, the the, uh, the Mike Shula era, um the Francioni era. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Price was there for like three months. Cause yeah. he, <laughs> <laughs> so try to forget about that. Um, and you know, we, we, uh, we watched, we watched all those games and we, you know, we, we were very much like, uh, you know, still the, still believing, just genuinely believing this, the best football program in the, in the, in the country. Yeah. And, uh, and then Saban shows up, and it's like, okay, well, now we can, now we can exhale a little bit. Yeah, yeah, we got a little breathing room. But then everybody's around. Then you got all these bandwagon folks who are, oh, we've we've loved them the whole time, and it's like, well, no, we really have loved them the whole yeah. time. <laughs> we were there. We're talking about the dark ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, uh, man, my dad's had season tickets, and I remember as a, as a child, you know, going through the the Bows and Shula area, and it was just, God, I just hope we beat Auburn. Yeah, <laughs> not the worst. Not I mean, like we lost some dumb games, but I mean, like we didn't compared to like a. I mean, look at Boise State in any ten-year period, and tell and, and tell me that you wouldn't you know love to have Mike Shula's record on. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. Like look, looking back, it's like yeah. seven five eight yeah, it's four. Not, it's not bad. It's not the worst. Yeah. It could be a whole lot worse. Yeah. But it's bad for it's bad for him fans. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helped when uh, Saban came to town. But uh, just uh, to talk about that Tuscaloosa scene, then is I mean, you had the Shucker, you had Egan's. Uh, what else was what else was there then? Um, Egan's Chucker. There was a, at some point there was a bar called the Back Porch. I lived on the I lived on the strip at one point. 
There was a bar called the Black the, the Back Porch. There was a bar called Cheap Shots. The booth was there. Um, the bar that is Rounders now was something, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and then there was the Jupiter down the Wasn't down. The Rounders down used to be like fourth and twenty third or something. No, that was down. That was downtown. Um, there was also yeah that, that that bar was there and they booked they booked bands too. I played there a lot. Um, there was uh, the Copper Top downtown. There was I mean there were a, there were a bunch of places to play. There was a there was a bar that like uh, briefly opened up after the Chucker closed called XS like just XS. <laughs> And the first time Bagua played as a three-piece was at that bar, and my band opened for the Handbag Me and the Siege opened for Bagua. Do you know who Bagua is? I don't. Oh, okay. Um, they were they were a pretty big deal. Uh, they they trap they were like heroes, kind of like the Dexteens. They they traveled a lot. And they were kind of crazy and off the wall. They sounded kind of like a. Um, <clears throat> like kind of like a math rocky type indie band mm-hmm. somewhere in the neighborhood of Radiohead or like Archers of Loaf or something like that. Okay. Um, I didn't quite get it. As, I mean, I think they're great musicians. I just don't. It, it's not. I don't. I don't know how to. I don't know how to break it down and tell you what they. Sound like yeah, well, math rocking like that. Yeah, Radiohead was where my mind would go. Yeah, they were in my, they were in, they they were friends of mine, and they were fun dudes to hang out with. And my, you know, Southern rock, my shit kicking Southern rock band up and for them a couple of times. Who was uh, who was in the siege? Um, the siege is. There's been a there's been a uh, there's been a lot of sieges. <laughs> <laughs> there was a. There were a couple of dudes named Shane and Derek that were there at the beginning, and then they both kind of quit around the same time. And then, and then, uh, but that's a that's probably a story that could I could it could be a whole podcast just the siege. But then there was like Tom Risher who was on most of the 2012 record, and uh, and uh, a guy named John Rushton playing bass, and then uh, Brandon Taylor playing bass for a little while. He played bass on the 2012 record. Um, Michael Ray was playing drums for a little while. Uh, we've had a couple of different periods where I've tried another guitar player, but the only one I can really remember was Andy Branton. Um, <clears throat> for the most part, Adrian Marmalejo has been in the band two or three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the guy that I'm going to call first. David Ray's done it a few times um, as as a bass player. Uh, drums are going to be... I'm either going to call, you know, Joey or, or Jack vote or, uh, you know, pro- I mean, probably Jake now, um, some other people and just whoever's the available. You know, yeah. Whoever's available. But I try to make sure that I have a ton of people to call if there's a, if there's a gig, um, this record that's coming out, Adrian plays bass and Jack plays drums on. Yeah, yeah, I saw uh, just some of the social media from it. I've seen that Adrian's definitely involved. That's exciting to me. Just with everything. It's exciting that- to me because it's like a. It's something that I wish that that I could have done before this point. But you know, he graduated from Alabama and they moved to El Paso and then they moved to Charleston, and we actually moved. We both moved to Birmingham about the same time. 
um, and reconnected and started playing shows. And he started playing with early James, and it's like, man, mm-hmm. cannot cannot put a leash on this guy. Uh-oh. And it's not just early James either. Yeah. I mean, it's oh yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of projects he's involved with. Yeah, it just seems like most like even Joey is like. Uh, I mean, if it ain't. Uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking in. That was such a good record. Uh, uh, Thoughts and Prayers was the name of the album. It was Yellow with Green Devil Hands. I'm blanking on the name of the Oh, band. The New Devils? The New Devils, that's it. Yeah. That Thoughts and Prayers, that was a good record. Oh, yeah, it's a killer record. And uh, I forgot and, that it was called Thoughts and Prayers. And Yeah, it's crazy. I can remember the name of the album and not the band. But uh, just all those guys are just so involved in so many different projects. Um, Joey Plant, Joey Plan was, uh, with my band was kind of fun because he's with so many people and you hear him, you don't really think about, I mean, this guy's got the same influences that I do yeah. from early on and is playing country music now. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So like when he gets a chance to do a little bit of, you know, some rock and roll fills and stuff like that, he's like, yeah, it's great. It's <laughs> <laughs> doing what I want to do <laughs> and so just uh, a little bit more on Tuscaloosa uh, just uh, what what really led you to uh, walking out of Tuscaloosa over here to Birmingham well my ex the woman I had a child with we got married and um, after we had had a had an almost two year old child and then um, we moved to Birmingham and uh we lived we lived in Birmingham for a couple of years, and then we got divorced. Uh, we had another child in the process, so I have I have two kids with uh, with her, um, and um, we we split custody fifty fifty for a little while, and then it kind of turned into a they're they need a little bit more structure, so I get them every other weekend. Um, but since then, I've gotten a a. a, a I mean, I was playing music around. I wasn't. I wasn't working at all um, around Birmingham. I was just playing music. We got divorced. I got a, a certificate in HVAC, and I started working for a service company. Mm. And then that job, like they couldn't keep me. Like they just couldn't. They just couldn't afford to keep me, so they let me go. And um, and I, the job that I currently have is in cook springs which is real close to here mm-hmm. uh, and i ended up buying this house as a result of working you know out here because gotcha. it was like properties are like i make you know decent money but um you know the the properties that i could afford were like am i gonna go to pelham or helena yeah and then drive to Cook Springs or, you know, then I started looking in St. Clair County and it, it made a lot more sense because I've got what is essentially a compound <laughs> out here in, yeah. in uh, Bell City, you know? Right. That's the uh, same thing as, uh, I mean, I work in Starkville, but like when you look at property value there, it's, uh, yeah, I got a little bit of a commute, but like when you look at property value and like what it's worth, it doesn't yeah. make it it doesn't even make sense trying to live in Starville when yeah just living a little bit outside of it is it's it's so much cheaper oh yeah it's it's a and it's you know it's because I don't know if you've got the same type thing we've got a lake out here and we've got rich people who have vacation homes so yeah they keep those property taxes real low because they don't want to 
mm-hmm. you know, pay for their, they don't want to pay property taxes on their vacation homes. And that's right. And all the, you know, the people with, you know, I mean, we benefited if we, if we benefit from it, if we own property out here, but I mean, there's a, this is a huge renter's market out here. So it's like, everybody, I mean, the little guy gets screwed along the way, but you know, you know all about that. Right. Living in the South. There's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, plenty of songs to write about that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, transitioning into the Birmingham scene, uh, where were some of the uh, first places you started like sinking your teeth into play? Would it be like a Nick? Or? It was. It was going. It was going back to like uh, like because I used to play at the Oasis and Lakeview and uh, and what is that bar that's called sidebar there's a couple of bars in lakeview that i was like i need to start playing these places again and then trying to get in the door in those places was like were were a nightmare Mm -hmm. whereas you know going to like the nick and saying hey roberta can i get a gig here and she'd be like absolutely yeah and uh and you know, you get, I mean, I, I felt so at home there because I, because I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't played a gig gig there in years, but like 10 years, you know, like it's been a long time since I'd played at the Nick. And then all of a sudden I'm just like, but then it turned into this thing where it was like, Roberta would just, and not I mean, not like knocking it at all. Cause I love that stage and I love that place, but it, I felt like, you know, once a week I was getting a message from her. Hey, do you want to do you want to yeah. open up for this band? Almost like, like you were resident there. I'd be like, Hey, look, <laughs> let me headline this place. You know, like give me a give me a shot. And she so she'd give me a shot and and like uh, and I kind of got to learn how to. You have to learn how to play the Nick. Like you have to you know learn any scene. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just you can't just uh, call up your buddies from Atlanta and, 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 uh, and expect to throw them on a bill and expect people to come out. You know what I mean? You got to kind of like time it right and, yeah. and get everything, you know, together. And, uh, and so after a few years, I was, I, I, I noticed that I was, you know, doing better at, at spacing out my Nick shows, which I'd do it every day if I could. It's, the, it's a great, it's a great place to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it, you know, at some point you got to start thinking about the, the smart business sense of it, you know? And it comes with its own story is like, of just people I've had on the show is like, uh, it's almost like a little caveat is like, okay, give me your best Nick story. It seems like that is the place where the best stories come from, whether it be just the drunken heckler or maybe you were the drunken heckler. I mean, I played there recently and there was, a. Uh, and, and it was that uh, it's that happy hour gig on Sunday night that they've started doing, um, and it was just like, yeah, we're like they they it's Danielle and and, um, and Rebecca book it now, um, and they were like, yeah, we're gonna have this happy hour gig and and uh, and it's on Sundays and and you know we're just we're just it's gonna be great, and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. you start at five, you play till seven. When you get there at four thirty on a Sunday night to set up for your five o'clock slot, the only people that are there, like the like the like the real regulars, like the ones who are there every day, yeah, and uh, and they're they're not there for music at all. 
So you're kind of like fighting for just a little bit of attention. Yeah. And, you know, like a few, a few of those, those people are just, you know, good old fashioned loudmouth bar patrons. And I was playing my set and getting a few laughs. Like, it's not like, it's not like I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, crushing, but I mean, like you're not playing for a lot of people and those people weren't there for live music in the first place. And then in the in between in between a couple of my songs, I just said, "Yeah, uh, you know, I'm glad to be out here. It's always fun to play at the Nick. I hope y'all are having a good time, having the loudest conversation I've ever ha- heard people have in my entire life." And I said it on the microphone, mm-hmm. and then they were just kind of like, "Ah, this guy's hilarious." Yeah. And then they're paying attention to me. They're still having a loud conversation, but they're kind of paying attention to me in the periphery, and then. I want to buy your music. Where, where's your, you know, you got a CD? No, I don't have a CD. I'm sorry. It's all digital. Yeah. It's terrible. I'm a, <laughs> the worst professional musician in, in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and so just uh, just over the years, how many albums have you got out now? Uh, there's the 2012 release, um, which is called Shit's Crucial is Track 7. Uh, there's the one that came out... Um, in November of 2020, trying not to die, and the one that's coming out on the release date, the tentative release date is May 27th, uh, which will be a, a show at the Nick, uh, and that one's called All Filler, um, and that's all I got out. Out. I was on a Blaine Duncan uh, record. I was on a Cy Simonton record. He's the lead singer of CBDB. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else out. I'm on, <laughs> I'm on a, uh, I'm on a, I'm on one track of a of a of a band's album called Nympho Knife, and they broke up several years ago. Uh, but I mean, if you can find that one, it's a it's a good one. It's called uh, it's called Pitbull, mm-hmm. and I just play a rocking guitar solo on that that one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, just a little bit more about the uh, the Birmingham scene as as you were breaking into it. Like, when did uh, was it around Bottle Tree when you got more uh, introduced to like Janet Simpson and more of the songwriter types around town? Uh, Bottle Tree had closed, and I met Will Stewart through um, a friend of mine named Bergen Matthews who has a show on Saturday mornings on BMR called The Lost Child. Um, and he was like, you need to meet this guy. Y'all are both songwriters. And I was like, hey, Will, how's it going? And we're like, you know, buds, but, you know, we haven't had a chance to, like, you know, play together yet. And Janet's record had just come out. I had not, I didn't know anything about uh, Teen Getaway. I didn't know anything about Janet at all. Uh, the first thing that I ever heard was the the uh, I Ain't One of These Nashville Girls song, which is her first single off the Safe Distance, Safe Distance record. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And I walked away from it. And uh, about a day and a half later, I think we were going, somebody was like, you need to come see uh, it was like a Katie Mulvihill show. Buckle Bunny. It was, yeah, yeah, but it was it was like her solo set at Ghost Train and uh, Early James and oh no, it wasn't Early James on the latest. It was it was Adrian on bass and Joey on drums, obviously. But uh, um, and then I, and then I think there was another band on the bill, 
and it might have been Kyle, uh, Kyle, uh, not Kyle, Saul Hill. It was uh, Kyle uh, Kimbrell. Why I can't I remember Kyle Kimbrell's name? Oh, it's I remember that show at Ghost Train. Yeah, her, her yeah. Uh, Kyle and uh, Katie uh, split the bill that night. Yeah, and uh, and Will and Janet were there, and I was like, "Oh, you're Janet Simpson." I just heard uh, I just heard your uh, Nashville Girl song, and I'm really looking forward to going to listen to the rest of your record. And uh, she was like, "Cool, good to meet you." And uh, just the 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 just general mm-hmm. Janet face. Good to meet you. Noted. I know who you are now. And then uh, and then I and then I went and listened to the rest of that record, and I fucking freaked out. Like I've never heard anything. I, like, and I've never. My friends have never done anything that cool in my life. And I am friends with the Dexatines, and that's Red Dust Rising is like the like was prior to that the best record I'd ever heard mm-hmm. my friends do, you know. Which I mean, it's still it's an iconic record to me anyway. It's it's it'll always have a place in my heart. But Safe Distance was like immediate like top five records, but probably like the best thing I've ever heard. Uh, I, I, when I first got uh, introduced to Cornelius Chapel and it, it taught Will Stewart and then Janet Simpson, yeah. Sarah Lee Langford, like her yeah. Two Hearted Rounder was like, uh, oh, yeah, that was cool. my favorite record of that year. And like, I think it's is there? In, there's nothing bad from that label, and that no. you know, and that, uh, and Austin Lucas is putting out stuff on that label too. That's right. And like, uh, like, yeah. I mean, like, all my fucking favorite people are are doing stuff with Cornelius Chapel, and um, and I feel like it kind of just started as like a, the Dexatines are going to have a yeah, label. yeah. It was Elliot's baby at yeah. first, and then it, it kind of outgrew him a little bit, and then I think uh, <laughs> Wes McDonald it some it somehow landed in his yeah, lap, yeah. And uh, him and Les and uh, Jake, they kind of took well. They it had on. their they had their label when Vulture Whale was was uh, doing their thing, um, which was I guess was it called Old Elegante Records? Like it was, and then like yeah, Elliot started Cornelius Chapel, and then and then I guess they took it over, mm-hmm. which is great. I mean, that's, that's that's some good people to hold on to your stuff. But, yeah, no kidding. But I think that the I think that the the vision never kind of left that you know El- that Elliot world which I don't mean I'm on rocket number nine records and I like that record label because they let me do whatever I want you know mm-hmm. um, how did that come into play for you uh, CJ um, and Desmond from uh, from Tragic City uh, <laughs> like told me they like my stuff and uh, and it's CJ's label, so it, it does, it's not Desmond's label, but it's but mm-hmm. but CJ and Desmond both kind of like like and I was like oh cool cool you know I, I think I was like what band are y'all in and then like uh, oh we're in Tragic City and then I went and saw Tragic City and you know kind of like with Janet oh my god these guys are great <laughs> <laughs> where, where have I been <laughs> and uh, and then. Um, so Desmond's like my favorite sax player now, and, uh, and and I'm like, man, dude, you're you're just the best. And he's like, thanks, buddy. But I mean, being complimented by him first is like my my favorite thing about that yeah. relationship between me and Desmond. It's so like, just like they just they were out and they called you live one night. Or yeah, like, they called me at Little Italy. Little Italy is kind of the place. Yeah. Um, for like my friends and stuff, like it's it's just a it's a great place to be. Uh, they have you know decent priced good food mm-hmm. and cheap beer and live music like every night so yeah the more i've gotten involved with like the birmingham scene is like all the all the people i like to 
keep up with and like to see like they play there. Yeah. Like whether it's, you know, early James or They're holding a torch that they had no idea that they that they were even holding that Robin and Jay just wanted live music. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just do live music. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it costs. We'll figure it out, you know? So And then just like the other night it was Taylor Hollinsworth was there and I mean that's <laughs> that's kind of a big deal for the here. <laughs> and you might and you might see like a Taylor Hollingsworth show with like five other people. Yeah. And it's still killer. Yeah. Or you might go to an open mic night that's, you know, completely packed out. Yeah. Like it's like there's no there's no real rhyme or reason to it, but it's always awesome. Yeah. And uh I guess like first time I caught Taylor at Druid City, it was him and Ross Dog. And it's like I've I've seen Taylor quite a few times now and it's like iterations on that is wild. You never know what you're gonna get. If even if it's just him at Marty's from Yeah. At, four o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning <laughs> it's uh I, I i love i love this scene and I, I love the players who are involved in it man that marty's gig is rough i told when yeah, marshall was 10 to 2 right 10 to 2 no gigs. it's it's 12 to 4 12 that's right 12 to 4 yeah i, I told i told marshall when she was when she's when she asked me if i wanted to play it i was like man i haven't done that in a long time but I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it like once a year. And then I did it, and I was like, "That's fun." I'll do it twice a year. Like, what's that? I've never been to like the show that late. Like, what's it like at like right three o'clock in the morning? And you're in your last you got, hour. Oh, every, it's just you were you were just oblivious. To people who are who are not their best selves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are paying cover. To get in so that they can get a patty melt and they're gonna eat their patty melt and they're gonna leave. It's yeah. At three AM it's not the but between like twelve and two, it's kinda of fun. It's the last stop for a lot of people on a on a weekend night. When you play a Friday night, it's it's the last stop for a lot of people. So you've got a you've got a packed house full of a pretty diverse crowd and mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to turn those people on is, is kinda of fun. And it's for me. It's always like, can I do a ten minute guitar solo? Is that gonna be it? Is that what they're gonna be into, or is it gonna be you know the 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 jokey songs? You know, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's like it's it's hit or miss. Only the one depending on the night, right? Yeah, yeah. If they're paying <laughs> attention, if you can get a couple of them laughing, then then they'll they'll all kind of pay attention yeah. in the periphery. Yeah, I feel like that, that that's the easiest way probably to cut teeth right with a jokey song, and then like, okay, I've won them over. Now I can get them a good guitar solo yeah, or whatever yeah. else. Of, like just just over the years for your songwriting and uh, like, uh, what what was more natural was it the more serious or the jokey or is it just kind of they're both kind of natural to you or like what about your process? <clears throat> I think that I got well. I think that uh, songwriting is kind of a it wasn't it wasn't like something that necessarily it's it's not something that I necessarily cared about that much when I was younger and I always wrote funny songs um but I also always looked at them as you know vehicles to play guitar solo so um like as it kind of got a little bit as as I started to get a little bit more professional about it and look at it as you know this is something that I want to do you know for real um not that I wasn't doing it for real I was just just had a different attitude at one point and then that flipped uh when i started you know writing these you know country songs i was like 
just I could be like Willie Nelson or Roger Miller, you know what I mean? Like, like I like if I look at it like that, like that's kind of like just keep it, just just get in and get out, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like like uh, like like give them a few lines uh, and then and then and then end it. Like don't 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 overthink it. Don't go crazy. Don't uh, don't do anything like uh, you know. Because I, I really don't write ser- serious, serious songs all that often anymore. But there will be little elements of... Like, I'm, I wrote... I think there's like three or four songs on this new one that are completely about clinical depression. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, and like from different angles. Like, there's an, there's an empathetic for people who are depressed. And there's like, a, there's, there's like two or three that are just about my general mental illness, you know? And... and um, but at the same time, they're they're fun and they're kind of like Roger Miller songs. They're like, yeah. hey, we're still, you still got to entertain them, you know. So, and so like all the records you've recorded is under the same label. The last the the last one and the one that's coming out are, are record number nine. Okay. Uh, what about like as far as like process? Is it words first or guitar work or like is it different? between songs I had a well I had a good discipline for a little while where I was making myself right um but my preferred mode of writing is waiting for the idea to come and it might be the melody and it might be the words mm-hmm. but it's usually going to be the the like a like some kind of hook that's funny like the uh like that song Larry that's the last song on my, my last record the thing that I thought uh, first was the you know you need to write a fucking song stop trying to write a hit and then shaping an entire song around that just one line was kind of where I was where I was headed and it took me like 10-15 minutes to, to write it when I finally had yeah and that's fun too. it kind of reminds me of like Hook uh, with uh, the Blues Travelers yeah it's yeah. like the, the Hook will bring you back yeah and I haven't said anything and like that that is the hook it's like I haven't said anything yet and I might yeah. not yeah 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 <laughs> it's just one of those fun songs it's like it doesn't matter just but try. I always try to have at least a like some kind of some kind of edit. like there's you know like I, I, I really love Weird Al and I love parody and I love mm-hmm. you know um, so like that that Ballad of the Apes song is is a literal parody of a Merle Haggard song called Are the Good Times Really Over for Good <laughs> yeah but it's like it's a song about the planet of the apes <laughs> and, how, and how, they don't, how they don't make them like they used to because I always thought that was like the most it's in some ways it's the most disappointing Merle Haggard song because it's like him being like old surly and old and yeah. weird oh they don't make a they don't make a Chevy in the last 10 years anymore and it's like yeah. you hate seeing your heroes get old and <laughs> <laughs> parody of the apes <laughs> <laughs> so I mean like I, I I like to have some kind of uh I like to have something that is, you know, an all-encompassing theme inside those songs cuz I don't want to I don't want to say that they're stupid songs cuz they're you know, there's something there's something there and if you if you do a little digging, you can find something a little bit more substance to them, but at the same time, you know, like I have yeah. a song called Hey Motherfucker that says motherfucker 27 times, so <laughs> And, and this first time I saw you live at Druid City when uh, you and Janet split the bill that night. I mean, there was enough there to... Uh, I left with an impression where I, I wanted to know more about him and look you up and, like, listen to more of your music. 
Uh, what about like with uh, today? What were some? Uh, it's mid January. Uh, we're about to be a twelfth away through twenty twenty two. Uh, what are just some places uh, water and hose where you typically uh, can be found playing? There's going to be Little Italy. Um, I do a couple. But Nick, I'll be around. Um, when is this coming out? Uh, it'll be Tuesday. It'll be Tuesday this week? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm playing Saturday with... Uh, I'm playing Friday at Good at Good People Brewery uh, from 7 to 10. I'm playing Saturday with Anna Hope. We're opening for a band called uh, Barbarossa Jones at the Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I'll, I'll probably be at Liddy sometime in February. Uh, I hope to be... Um, I have to be back at good people. I have to be like there'll be a courtyard 280 here and there. Just if you look out for me, I'll be around. Right on. And just to walk it back is like uh, this is one of Monk's favorite stores to tell. He's got the photo is of uh, uh, the ferry in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Dex teens, uh, you were there that night. It's it's a picture of you, Matt Patton, and him. Oh, okay. And I wanted to take it back to that night. Uh, if you remember the the night I'm talking about, is it is it like Everybody's sweaty, and we're we're. Uh, I got short hair and the and the uh, the the snap shirt on with the, the yeah, checkers. That's the, the checkered. One. That's the night that Model Citizen played. Mm-hmm. And that was a really good show. That was a fun Matt fun Pat. show. Yeah. He uh, he handed. Uh, he handed me Model Citizen's a cool band. They're like. An indie, the Who, mm-hmm. like they're a killer, um, and uh, uh, they went into their last song, and it was uh, just give me some kind of sign, like a cover of that that R and B song. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, as it as it kind of rolled into it, he handed me his guitar, told me the chords. So just play, just keep playing this, mm-hmm. and then uh, their bass player handed Adam Pate from Bachwai his bass, the bass player for Bachwai, and uh, so we just kind of finished out their set for them while they while while they while he was singing, just give me some kind of sound, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Monk still to this day. I mean, he loves talking about that that ferry boat ride. Yeah. I think uh, Bo Hicks had a hand in it. Yeah, was, all it was it was, was a it was, was a, Alabama uh, Shakes a part of that one. Um, they might have been on that one. Oh yeah, that was that was uh, Lee Baines was uh, number two on that bill, and Alabama Shakes was uh, like probably three shows into their career period. Yeah, uh, I think that they had inked the deal on the Zales commercial that that you know that shot them to superstardom, but right. they but they uh, they were they they hadn't played a whole lot of shows. Um, God, they played. Did they? Did they write? Somebody told me that Britney wrote "Hold On" on stage at the Brick Deli in Decatur. No idea on that. <laughs> but anyway, I talk, like they they showed up and they were the first man on the bill. Nobody knew who they were, and they started playing, and it was like that is the best. That's the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. She was just rocking the house, and there was people still downstairs in the boat, 
like had no idea what, what was going on upstairs. Mm-hmm. And when they got done, I talked to Brittany for probably 30 minutes, just about Sam cook and Otis Redding and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, like, uh, like just singers, just how much I loved singers. And she was, she was like, yeah, you, yeah. And then like, uh, like a, a week or so later, I think that I was on like one of Bo, Bo used to have a website called well, that's cool.com and a, and a, uh, a little podcast, little video podcast thing that ha- went along with it. And it was a, it was a weekly events calendar and he had musical guests too. So, uh, this is in the infant stages of like Facebook world, social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I was a guest on that the same week, and me and me and Brittany had met. I became her Facebook friend, and then like, uh, and then she was like, "Oh, you really can sing!" Like when I did a thing on WellThat'sCool.com, which was the best thing. Yeah, he's the one who did the bruise cruises too. The, yeah, the, it was WellThat'sCool.com. I wanted to say it was. Now his whole thing is Druid City Brewing, but that's been yeah. a, you know, yeah, I'm excited about them run. getting into the new building. And oh yeah, it's killer. All that. Uh, well, we got. Uh, you have the new record coming out, and you said May 27th? Yeah. Tentatively? Hopefully. If we can get everything done. And so... Uh, well, we get everything done pretty quick Yeah. on the front end, and then it, and then we... And then we're persnickety about every ooh and ah on the... <laughs> <laughs> for a few months, and then we get it mastered, and then it's done. There you go. And I, I don't want to miss anything, uh, which I know we... Like you said, we could probably do a whole episode on the siege, but uh, just from the time period that we've covered is uh, what was, and we may have already talked about it, uh, what's one of the coolest shows or things that happened to you uh, for music as far as like being on the same bill as someone or uh, just coolest memories? I got to, shortly after I moved to Birmingham, I got to open for Dale Watson at the Nick. Oh, that's cool. Um, and it wasn't easy to get that spot. Like I had to, I had to say, um, I had to say, Roberta, I want to open for Dale. He like, he's a legend. I was like, and I was like, there's nobody in this, in this town that could do this better than that could open this show better than me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she was like, Hey, I'm sorry. We already, Dan Nolan's already got the, already got the opener locked down. Everything's, everything's, you know, done and i was i was like let me on that damn bill you know what i mean like i don't care what kind of cut i get i don't care i just want to open for him i want to meet him i want to you know i want to do the thing and after being a real dick about it for you know for for a a couple of weeks she finally said okay you can do it but you have to you have to do it solo acoustic and uh and I, i was like you know what that's cool that works and I, I opened that show and I opened with, uh, he had his bus parked in front of the neck. It was, mm-hmm. it was kind of ridiculous. It was a little too, it was a little too much for the neck. And, uh, his brother was in the crowd when I was playing this song called I'm a dick when I drink. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> and he, his brother ran to the bus and ran inside and said, Dale, this guy's in here. He's got a damn. He's got a damn song called "I'm a Dick When I Drink." <laughs> and uh, and and then when I met Dale er, later, 
Yeah. He was like, yeah, my brother came to the bus and told me you got a song called I'm a dick when I drink. And I was like, well, that doesn't really have anything. It's not a, It's not about, because he has that song called I Lie When I Drink. Yeah. I was like, they're not related. I'm not, like, I didn't, I didn't copy your song. Yeah. Was that, was he under that impression? <laughs> no, or? no, no. The brother was. I yeah. Think. Oh, I but Dale you. was like, oh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you're, That's you're, you're a good kid. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's all right. We're going to let that one go. Well, uh, just walking out of the door of social medias is uh, if people want to get involved and keep up with what you're doing musically or what you have going on, uh, which one are you most active on? Um, I try to stay active on uh, on Facebook and Instagram. My TikTok is hit or miss, but if you go to the there's a website hambagby.com, and if you go to that, you can usually find everything that I've got going on. And what about the uh, sweatshirt you got on? Tell me about that. Oh, that's a brewery in San Diego. Oh, I was about to say, I was like, are you, I, I are you brewing beer on the side? I don't, even think, I don't even think I'm related to those people. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. I was like, Bagby Beer Company. I was like, <laughs> what's going on there? Well, uh, all right, Ham, thank you so much. Yeah, man, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. All right, we're out of here. Depressed, I'm tired, I'm single, and halfway through my life, or whatever I guess you wanted me to say. If you'd kindly remember that you're the one who asked, and please try not to look at me that way. I know the drill, my dude, but every day's a struggle, and sometimes it'll show up on my face, but I'm showered all time and ready for the work day, and I promise you I'll always know my place. Still, I'm depressed, I'm tired, I'm single And halfway through my life Or whatever I guess you wanted me to say If you'd kindly remember That you're the one who asked And please try not to look at me that way almost all the time and I promise that it's usually not you all but therapy 
and medicine have been a great big help that I promise I'll keep up no matter what I do. But I'm depressed, I'm tired, I'm single, and halfway through my life, or whatever I guess you wanted me to say. If you'd kindly remember that you're the one who asked, and please try not to look at me that way. And please try not to look at me that way. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.